At Sagemont, we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. If God says it, that settles it. I'm glad that where a lot of people say, I just can't understand the Bible, that you can if the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. The one that wrote it will interpret it for you. And the one that wrote it will come and live in your life if you invite them to come into your life. And when that Holy Spirit comes into your life, I can promise you great things begin to happen. When you're on the mountaintop, there will be a one that will be up there clapping for you. When you're walking through the valley, there will be one walking with you. And when you stumble and fall, they'll pick you up and carry you to fulfill the purpose that God has planned for your life. And so today, I'm entitling the message, The Truth About Sin. For those of you that are our guests, we don't mind talking about sin at Sagemont because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if you ever come to a time in your life that you don't think sin is relevant in your generation, you better wake up because it is relevant. And nobody had to teach any of us to be bad. We came that way. And what God wants us to do is bring ourselves to him and let him do with us what he intended to do when he put us here. But sin messes it up. God has a plan. Satan wants to attack that plan. Now, he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. So if we come to that point in our life when we know more about the devil than he thinks we do, we know how to handle the devil. We know how to deal with sin. We know the power that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. Now, there's many stories in the Bible. I just want to pick from about uh, four or five of those stories, and I just want to excerpt some thoughts that I hope that you will remember as we talk about the truth about sin. Number one, we're going to go to that Luke chapter 15 passage, the prodigal son, the one that went off, said, I just want all my blessings, Dad. Give them to me. And he went out and he spent everything in riotous living. And then he came home. And by the way, all of these stories end well. If you don't like sad stories, if they end well, then I think that you would want to hear it. So listen to Luke chapter 15, verses 14, 15, and 16. And when he had spent all, that is this prodigal, took his inheritance, said, give me my money, Dad. I'm out of here. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Here's what he said. When he had spent all, there arose a famine, a mighty famine in the land. And he, the one that took his wealth, began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now that's the middle of a story, and we'll try to cover it here in just a moment so it will all make sense, the one that may not be familiar to the Scripture. Here's what we know about sin from the Scripture. We know that it often involves pleasure, materialism, and ambition. And those things come into all of our lives, and we have to deal with those things. And those of us that have lived a long time know that all Christians, not just all people, but all Christians can point to times in their life 
when they wandered away from God. Didn't intend to. Wasn't just a blatant, in-your-face God, but we wandered away. When we wandered away, we realized that we had left something good. And we're out there in the hong pens of life, trying to figure out what happened. Why am I struggling so much? Why am I not able to deal with things like I thought I would be able to deal with? So why do we wonder? Well, first of all, it's due to our sin nature. We're born in original sin. That sin is in every single life. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes me, you, and anyone that's listening or watching right now. Number two, we know the enemy is serious enemy. Don't take Satan lightly. The only one that can take care of Satan is not you. It's God in you. You cannot come against him and win. You cannot do anything. As the writer said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But without him, we're nothing. We're like a fragile egg, and it doesn't take much for us to end up an addict, a prisoner, someone that has broken a relationship that you did not want to break. That's just the way life is. Not your life, all of our lives. And then another thing, it makes us really probably difficult for a lot of people is our father is an invisible father. Nobody's seen the father. A lot of people say, well, when I see it, I believe it. Well, you're sure off on a bad trail because you're going to see a whole lot of things. If you believe it, you've been deceived because people now can counterfeit truth. And you look at it and you think, oh, now I get it, but you don't get it. You have been caught in the trap. Now, materialism can be used. Let me emphasize this. Pleasure can be used. Ambition can be used to try and destroy us. All of our seniors today will face what we faced when that day came, to step away and move forward with our life. They're going to see that all kinds of attacks are going to come. But those that are believers and walk with God and know the word and have God living in them, they know that Christ in them is greater than he that's in the world. That God can do anything. Nothing is too hard for him. And Satan cannot break through the protection of God if we just won't knock it down ourselves and run from God and hide from God and so forth. Those things that try us and destroy us, God can take care of us. And it is extremely important. Now listen to me. I'm giving you a chance to evaluate yourself. Make sure you evaluate yourself correctly. Nobody wants to go to a doctor that tells you about yourself and they be wrong. You want to know because you know that you can't treat it till you know what the problem is. And so whenever we come to that, that point where we start self-evaluating ourselves, now be careful here. Our tendency is to look at each other. Well, I'm sure not as bad as him. I'm sure not as bad as her. And they're a preacher. They're a deacon. They're a tither on the gross. 
Uh-uh. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's not the way it's measured. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody can boast. Don't try to get saved. Just be still and know he's God. Confess that you're lost. And just holler, help, come in, and here he comes. And then he says, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. A.W. Tozier is a writer that many of you that seriously study uh, spiritual things in the Bible and all uh, know about him. Here's a quote I got from him. Self-knowledge is so critically important to us in our pursuit of God and his righteousness that we live under a heavy obligation to do immediately whatever is necessary to remove the disguise and permit our real selves to be known. With all this out there, there is a God that is King of kings and Lord of lords. He never flinches when Satan comes. If he's permitted, and you, if you say you're a believer, you've got to let go and let God take care of some things in your life, and you won't do that yet because you want to argue with God. And the way you know you're arguing with God, if God's word says this and you want to go that way, then you're arguing with God. But when you let God tell you what he wants you to do and then go do it, watch out because you're going to be set free, and you're going to have an opportunity to stand against the evil one. We've got to know ourselves. We do everything we can sometimes to not really acknowledge who we are. So we never get to that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we won't admit that. Until the Holy Spirit takes control, and when the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, then we're able to make progress and to be what he wants us to be. Someone has said we're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. As a man thinketh, so is he. Now here's what the culture does, what it does for old people and our teenagers and our graduates. It is deceiving, it is phony, it is fake. It doesn't do what they said it would do, but you jump after it. You've heard me say this many, many times. Read the fine print. Get your magnifying glass under the small print underneath all of the commercials on television and see how many there are that says, we just told you a lie, but you can't read this but we got by, by law to put it up here, so we did. Now move on down the road and make mistakes. But when you come to that point where you say, okay, I know myself. Well, do you? I'm going to give you some questions, all right? Let's see how you handle these. I have to go through all this before I give it to you, but misery sometimes wants company, so I'm going to share them with you. <laughs> Number one, what do you want most in life? What do you want most in your life? What do you want most? Is it a temporary thing? Or is it a lifetime, an eternal thing? What do you want most? Well, I don't know. You're in trouble. Because if you don't know where you want to go, how are you going to ever get there? You have to have a goal. So number one, what do you want most? Number two, what do you think about most often? Please don't tell the person next to you. 
But what do you think about? As a man thinketh, so is he. So if you come to that moment when you start thinking wrong, you start doing wrong. And when you are being bombarded with think like the world, you get in a trap. And then bad things begin to happen. Here's another one. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your money? That's simple. You say, well, I'm not sure. you got bigger problems than the rest of us. Where do you spend your money? Number four, how do you spend most of your time, your free time, when you can choose what you do with it? What do you do with it? it tell you a lot. Tell you a lot. A lot of times when people get free to do what they want to, that's when they make their biggest mistake in their life. So what do you do, or how do you spend most of your time? This is one of the ones that I've really enjoyed thinking about. If you could spend one day being anyone else in the world, who would you be and why? If you could spend one day being somebody else, your hero, you know, just one day throwing that pass at the Super Bowl or whatever. That one day of being, that one is being recognized. What would you choose if you had that choice? Now they get a little bit more convicting. Past week, how much time did you spend in prayer? And how much time did you spend in reading the scripture? Because, see, that's where it begins to happen. If you, if you don't pray and you don't study God's word, how in the world are you going to know God's will for your life? You say, well, God just speaks to me. That's all I know. Yeah, he does. And he tells you how he speaks to you. Right here. Right here. You say, no, I heard God. I heard God. I saw God. No, no man's seen God. God has put himself. He said, I've made myself evident in creation. So man's without an excuse. But my word is my word. And the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. But when you don't have the word of God and you don't study the word of God and you don't pray to the God that's king of kings and lord of lords, how in the world do you expect to be successful in your life? So just a couple more questions. When was a time in your life when you felt closest to God? It could have been an illness of a family member, a death. It, it could have been loss of a job. It could have been a thousand different things. But the question is, when have you felt closest to God? And then I'll close with this one. When have you felt the farthest away from God? When have you felt the farthest away from God? It's likely when you realize that because of sin in your life, you drifted for a while, then you walked for a while, and then you just ran and jumped off the cliff. That's called moderation, by the way. Nobody ever gets involved in things that'll kill you, like tobacco and alcohol, and have thought about it. You don't run in and say, I hope one day to get cancer, I hope one day to get drunk and kill a bunch of people, including myself. No. No. 
There's pleasure in sin for a season. I just do that, and you put all this together, and you come up with your own life plan, okay? But I just want you to know, if you just go around like, a, like you know, in a daze, and you have no idea where you are, why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, all I'm looking for is, where's everybody going to do this weekend? Well, why don't you say, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what they do this weekend. What are they going to do on Sunday? Well, I understand a bunch going here, a bunch going here, a bunch going there, and there's a whole lot more things they can go to than they could 50 years ago. But you chose to be here. You chose to watch on the Internet or watch on television here in Houston. But what about you? And what about me? The reason that a lot of Christians live in the far country so long is that nobody ever told them the truth about the far country. Let me read to you the story of one that was called a very wise man. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the second chapter. I want to read to you, and it's not going to be on the screen, I don't think, but listen. This is Solomon, all right? Wisest of men. Incredible story. Here's what he said after wasting much of his life. I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of myrrh, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet... Acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of man, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Listen, I made me great works. I built me big house. I planted my vineyards. I made my gardens, my orchids. I planted trees in them, all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got my servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle. Above all that were in Jerusalem before me, I gathered me also silver, gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the lights of the sons of men as musical instruments of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of my labor. Now listen to the last verse. Then I looked on all of the works of my hands and had wrought, and on the labor that I'd labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. When a man like Solomon, with his brilliance, writes something like that, wise people will take advantage of it. He had more than the wealthiest person that you or I have ever known about in this life. But yet, something was missing. You know, some of the happiest people that live in Houston, Texas, have very little of this world's wealth. They don't have the nice cars, the nice houses, but they have Jesus in their heart. 
and they can have a humble job, and they be the ones smiling while those in the corporate office lives and marriages are falling apart. You know why? Because they've learned with food and raiment to be content. And after that is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name you know. And he's just the same every day. And every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You men that are smiling, or you women that are smiling and are married, God must have helped you pick out that one. God did. I see hands going up. All right. Be sure and take them to dinner, guys. That you listen today, and I read and listen to the truth. We understand what's going on. The world says that the far country is filled with pleasure. The Bible says it's not. It's not. The preachers say the far country is life filled with pain. Well, really, part of that's right in both cases, world and the preacher saying. Neither is completely true. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But after that, it's misery. But all things do work together for good to those that love the Lord. Everything is not pain. Everything is not pleasure. And it can last for a long time. But every one of us need to be reminded sin is real, sin is brief, sin is costly. And God says, you find that out and you start dealing with what your problem is. As our beloved Dixon Murrow used to say, the problem is never the problem. But when you come up with a problem and you get it solved every day, then it's sweeter than the day before. I want to show you quickly my closing moments. I pick out three. These are believers that were committed, committed believers, and they love God. But they all allowed materialism, pleasure, and ambition to keep them from fellowshipping with God. They all experienced major crisis in their lives that could have destroyed their lives. But they all enjoyed their own homecoming. See, the prodigal son is not the only character in the Bible. There's a bunch of people in the Bible that are like you and I that are tempted and go away for a while and end up in the hog pen. But thanks to God's grace, they come home. And when they come home, there's a celebration. And life begins to take on its real meaning because my children have come home. God appeared to Solomon at the age of 20, at the age of 20, and he promised him just anything that he desired. But then Solomon began to move his desires into the wrong arena. And if you read 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 and, first, and verse 9, you will see what happened. God gave him riches, and he gave him power as a bonus. Those two can be tough. But he got both. But there was a condition. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3, 14. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. 
And Solomon was faithful for 20 years. And then he built the temple. And I wish I had time to tell you the rest of the story. But let me just tell you this. God's timing is always perfect. He knows when to do what he does to the children he loves. He knows what will get your attention. He knows what will get my attention. He knows what he wants from me, and he knows what he wants from you and what he wants from us together. And if we will seek him, we will find him if we seek him with all of our heart. Failure comes when we begin to drift because we doubt God really loves us that much. He does love you that much. Don't take it for granted. He loves you. No, he couldn't love me. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. God knows what I've done. God knows what you've done. And he loves us unconditionally, especially if we're trying to do his will. But you know what the big enemy is? Success. Yep, I'm sorry. You look in the mirror and you say, wow, I'm something to look at. And if you don't think you are, then you start decorating it. And then if you go out and buy the prettiest thing you can find, and if they don't give you attention, you get the weirdest thing you could ever put on. <laughs> and you say, but I am so blessed. No, you're not. You're in a trap. You need to let go and let God. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4, it says, If you'll walk before me, as David, your father, walked, talking to Solomon, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David, your father, saying, There shall not fail you a man upon the throne of Israel, but if you shall at all turn from following me, you and your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship then. Listen, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among the people. That passage, go home and look at it a little more closely than I had time to read it. It simply says this. If you do it God's way, you're going to get God's reward. If you do it your way, you're going to get Satan's reward. And the choice is up to you. You can make your choices or God can make them for you. He knows why he does what he did. This man built an army, accumulated a fortune, came involved with the opposite sex. The world began to fall down. Ecclesiastes, read it in that second chapter. Solomon would not have spent those 20 years in the far country if it was all pain. He stayed out there because it seemed good. And again, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. So as we close the book on him, and we see that it only brought pain, my question is, what about my life and your life? If it brought pain in his life, why would it do the same for us? And it does. 
If any of us decide, God, we don't care what you want with our life. We know that we've been bought with a price. I'm talking to believers now. But God, I've got my itinerary. Watch out. God's word never paints sin as unpleasurable. There is pleasure for a season. Quickly, I want to jump to David. 32nd Psalm, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the summer. David enjoyed living a life of pleasure. But it caught up with him. The season was over. And the storms came. And what should have been an unbelievable career, because it started off with such great stories and all of the things that he had written, but yet sin is no respecter of persons. Judgment was coming, and judgment is coming for us. Regardless of the reason that you or I Wonder from the Father, rest assured we won't get away with it. God loves us too much to let us die in the hog pen. He loves us too much to let us go through the agony of defeat in the latter years of our life. As you and I watch today the news in any area you want to go, don't just pick on entertainers. Don't just pick on the sports figures. You can pick on the religious people. And they're going down like flies. Because they have decided that we are going to be like the world. And be one thing one day and something else the next day. And the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. So my plea to you this morning is, that you'll remember, as Ecclesiastes 8:11 says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. You see, if you sin in that day, you got your spanking, and then the next day, and the next day, you say, well, I, I've got now to where I'm kind of immune to spankings. Doesn't hurt anymore. All the nerves are gone. But see, God doesn't work it that way. We're in this for life, folks. By the way, you know what life is? We're talking about eternity. Not just here, but for all of eternity. We're in this for the bottom of the tenth, not just the ninth, all right? And remember that that sin will always take us further than we want to go. It will keep us there longer than we want to stay, and it will cost us more than we want to pay. That's just what it does. That's just what it does. And so as we gather this morning, does God care? You bet. Well, why doesn't he discipline me now? I'd just rather get my spanking right now and get it over with. Well, God is a God of patience. I can remember those days. I want to get mine, get it over with. 
Mother say, when daddy gets home, he's going to spank you. Where is daddy? Take me to him. I don't want to think about it any longer. I just want to cut it off. Get over the New Testament. I love Peter. He's so, so much like so many of us. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not about spanking you. It's about getting you to repent. It's not just knocking you down, but saying, I want to stand you back up and turn you around and get you doing what I put you here to do. You're picking on my patience, old sinner. I'm just about headed up to here. You remember those days of growing up? You see, it's right here. You don't want it up here. And a lot of us here today are a whole lot closer to it than we realize. And so what we need to do is take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. We need to understand the blood of Christ does cleanse from every single sin. God used Moses, my final one, his time in the desert to become the greatest years of his life. In Deuteronomy 32:10, he found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. See, God wants to come to you right where you are. He's willing to come to you right where you are. He's willing to step out of heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit and take you right where you are. You don't have to make up for lost time. You can put the lost time under the blood of Jesus and repent, which means to turn around and start following him. And you will find oftentimes, especially in the early stages, that he comes to you even more quickly because he understands you still haven't got your balance on this Christian walk. You're still a little bit confused. You're not sure. It seems this way, but I see this one, and they're a Christian, and they're doing it, so maybe I've just misunderstood. I'm going to go over here and do what they do, see? Now, when you get older, you don't do that stuff anymore because you've been down that road. And any time you tried to be like somebody else that you thought was a Christian, but what they were doing is biblically talked to be wrong, if you followed them, you paid for it. If you repented and said, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to follow the Lord, you were blessed for it. I have never met a person in my lifetime that says, I wish when I was in high school I'd have sinned more. <laughs> I had all those opportunities at Baylor University with all of those sororities, all of those cocktail parties, all of those things. And all the men, they were just unbelievable. Oh, I just wished I'd have had an affair with all of them. I don't think so. I think by the grace of God, if we did not commit the sin, thanks to Calvary. Thanks for the God that said, come on, son, I got something better for you. I'm going to walk you out of this deal. Come out from among them, the Bible says, and be you separate. So I can give you my attention and show you have you ever seen any kid grow up and say they're never going to make it? Look like they look. Act like they act. They're not going to make it. But the one thing happened to them that you forgot. They got saved. And they got born again. And Jesus came into their life. And when he did, wow. Wow. We've had the privilege at Sage Mount of 52 years of seeing a whole bunch of them. For all of you that love Freeman Tomlin, tell him to tell you the rest of the story, all right? And Brother Zach, he tells his story. Chuck tells his story. And I can tell you my story. But here's the point. Here's the point. 
The day you make up your mind, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. If you're married, and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to do what God wants him to do. So my question to you, if you don't feel like you're spending enough time with God, watch it now. This is not a raise your hand. This is not a rededicate your life. But how much time will you give God on a Sunday? How many of you right now, we're going to dismiss this service, and you're going to walk out of this service, and you've had your church for today. And you've had it in one hour. You've had it up to here. I'm watching the clock. I've had about all this I can take. Watch out. There may be a blessing waiting in one of these rooms right now for you that you won't have room enough to receive. But no, I got my day planned. We're going to eat barbecue. We're going to the ball game. We're going to go watch this. We're going to watch that. And you know, Sunday's the only day we have off, so I'm going to goof off. Why don't you let it be a day of worship? That's what the Bible says it to be. And see how the other five and six turn out. No, no, this is just what we do. This is our routine. You know what? If you keep on doing what you're always doing, you always have what you already got. There's got to be a change. If you rob God of your tithes and offerings, you'll never have what he wants you to have. Because God says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's your time, your talents, your money. You just name it. If God gave it to you, use it for his glory and watch what he follows up with. If you have just a little bit of talent, use that talent for the glory of God and watch what God does with that little bit. Those stories are all through the Bible. Just a little bit of meal. Just a little bit of love. Just a little bit of commitment. Just a breaking out and saying, you know, I'm going to remember the Sabbath day and I'm going to keep it holy. Why is it we have so many people on Easter and Mother's Day? Why? Well, it's Mother's Day. Well, it's really Jesus' day that we've dedicated to mothers. But what you've got to do is you've got to put your priorities right. My friends are going to be those that are going to walk with me and encourage me and help me fight the battle. I'm going to pick them up when they fall, and I'm going to put them on a solid rock. That's the way the Christian life ought to be. When one of us gets wounded, everybody else needs to come pick us up and get us home. That's what church is all about. That's what Bible study is all about. That's what worship is all about. That's what missions is all about, is for us to be the family of God. And when one hurts, we're going to all hurt. When one rejoices, we're all going to rejoice. That's what it's supposed to be. And there are those that are here and those that have watched on the Internet that say, you know what, I've been to church, and it isn't that way. Well, they should have been. And if Sagemont has failed, we want to change. We have several families that are hurting today, and that's all I've heard about since I got here. In almost every conversation of love, when is the service? What happened? How can we pray? What is the need? That's just a continual thing. That's what church is. That's what the family of God is. And somebody, they wounded, they fell, they lost their job. They had a moral faith. I don't know what it is. What are we supposed to do? Gossip about it? Of course not. We're to love them and bring them to Jesus. Bring them home. Bring them home. I sit here on Sunday morning. I look at this choir and everybody walks across this stage. I can tell you stories about some of those seniors. The choir, the orchestra, 
And man, there's so many miracles up there, so many miracles. But you know what happened? One day, they came out of the far country, and they came to Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, they were surrounded by the family of God. And when they failed, nobody didn't step on their face and said, I didn't think there was any different. Not one thing has happened, you know. With tears in the eyes of the one that lifted, they were picked up like the story in the Bible and taken home.